they keep arguing about what is the right thing to do whenever the right thing is like 20 miles away like driving at the speed of sound away from them Well, hello there, and welcome to this super-duper special episode 175 and our fifth year (laughs) of doing this podcast. This podcast, which is The Recommendation Game, a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately, and then we Skype to discuss them. My name is, as it always is... (laughs) Orda McNeenis, and I am joined by... Ricardo Deacon. How are you, Ricardo? Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. You know what? Like, uh, we've been doing this podcast longer than I lived in Uruguay. What? <laughs> That's, it's funny you said that, actually, because the other day I started uh, doing that in my head of, like, things, I, the po- things I've done last time that I've done this podcast, and it's actually kind of... It's actually kind of crazy. (laughs) College? Did you do transition year? No. Secondary school then? Yeah, it's the same length as secondary school. It's it's actually nuts. Um, This is longer than any relationship I've ever been in. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this is... It is... I would recommend that if anybody wants to mark time, particularly when life is so crazy and eventful these days, uh, start a podcast with your bestie because uh, you will have a record of every week and then every second week of your life. So uh, (laughs) there you go. Um, uh, Yes, so uh, this week's film is uh, chosen by Ricardo and it is The Wild Bunch from 1969. Driven to the border by the irresistible thrust of civilization were the remnants of the breed that had made the West wild. If they move, kill them. The payrolls are harder to get at. The army rode the railroad now. But there were still a few trails for the kind who'd be cold before they were tamed. They called them the Wild Bunch. An aging group of outlaws look for one last big score as the traditional American West is disappearing around them. He's gonna get us all killed. I'm gonna get rid of him. You cannot get rid of anybody. We're gonna stick together just like it used to be. When you side with a man, you stay with him. And if you can't do that, you're like some animal. You're finished. We're finished. All of us. So... (laughs) This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo also chose Sam Peckinpah as his uh, thesis subject in the final year of college. (laughs) So, Ricardo, uh, why? (laughs) Well, like, uh, for one, uh, completely random, but just to let you know, probably the most random fact uh, you would have picked up from this podcast, the guy that plays General Mapache, uh, Emiliano Fernandez, I think it's his name. Yeah. He is the man who uh, body was used as the basis for the Oscar statue. What? He 
Mr. Oscar? Hold on. I'm looking at his uh, model for Oscar statuette. Oh, my God. Okay, well, it's rumored, but not confirmed. Okay. Yeah, but it's largely... Uh, it's a legend. I love this. Oh my god. Okay, this is there. There's two lines in the uh, Wikipedia entry. Fernandez is rumored to be the model for the Oscar statuette, but not confirmed. The legend suggested <laughs> that MGM art director Cedric Gibbons, one of the original Motion Picture Academy members, tasked with creating the Academy Award trophy, was introduced to Fernandez by actress Dolores Del Rio, who persuaded him to pose nude. <laughs> so there you go. So. But when it comes to, like, Peckinpah in general, like, the reason why I like him as a filmmaker and why I found him interesting enough to do a dissertation on um, is that both there is a kind of, I think, misunderstanding both at the time that he was making movies and now about both his legacy and the movies that he made. Whether you see them as good movies or not is a different argument, let's say. But it's just the intention of the movies are misplaced because he's one of those filmmakers that... um, There's few filmmakers that are so legendized, mythicized as Peckinpah is. You know, like the... uh, He comes... Like, he is New Hollywood in a way, like... Uh, not in the sense that New Hollywood was based on him and that he was the influence behind it, but you could kind of... He embodies a lot of the... uh... Yeah, like the idea, even like having Pauline Kael like really be an ally of him and the idea of him fighting studios for his career, the idea of being like the macho director, the guy that won't take any shit or whatever. But I think that as much both his movies and his actual personal life kind of mirror each other. They're very macho movies, but really the macho part of it is a front for a far deeper emotional, hugely complicated movies and stories, both him as a person in the movies. Like, uh, like there's accusations of like glorifying violence, but I think that, uh, it is far better to do what he does in his movies that is make violence shocking in a way than have like heroes and villains in like the John Wayne version that is like, oh, somebody got shot and they're just like holds their chest and the bad guy just lies down, you know? Like if you actually make the the bullet hits feel like a bullet hit, it makes the... The guy saying that it's okay to go shoot someone because it's the way that it is in the West, you know, that's mm-hmm. the the old way. <clears throat> it makes it uh, a lot more problematic because the words that people say don't match their actions, let's say. And I think that it is far more complex than, like, a lot of his movies uh, thread that line. The only movie that doesn't is ironically his most successful movie called Convoy, which he didn't really direct because he was coked up as his mind and James Cogburn had to like ghost direct because Peckinpah wouldn't leave his uh, trailer because he was just fucking snorting coke and drinking whiskey. Mm. And I think it kind of destroyed him that that's the movie that made the most money. The movie that he didn't make, you know, like how terrible that would be for your like self-esteem. <laughs> but and also is the one that is completely forgotten about that in a way 
it makes sense why it's forgotten about because it's a Chris Christopherson trucker movie. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we've got us a convoy. It was a dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Going back to, to The Wild Bunch. For one, it's a relentless movie, and there's a reason why uh, editors are famously told to watch Peck and Pop movies, because he knows how to edit. Oh, it yes. is similarly to David Lynch and other directors that started as editors. It's something that he was able to, malle- to uh, use how malleable time is. And I think that his film's don't age as other films from the 60s even if you compare this to something that is usually named in the same breath which is bonnie Bonnie and clyde Clyde, that bonnie and clyde as a film is very influential but if it feels like the first step Mm. on the line while the wild bunch feels like a style that is already complete it's a style that it, it has been developed already in the previous movies that he did. Uh, there were failures got, like, uh, because this is his fourth movie, but it was his first hit, let's say. And also his last chance. It was like, in a way, his last ride. Um, but there's a there's a thing with uh, Peckinpah uh, that it, his movies are all about moral and gray areas and morality. And in the very opening scene in the movie, there is a whenever before anything happens, there is a scene inside the the railroad office that the wild bunch is going to rob. The manager is complaining to somebody and he goes, it's not what you did that I have a problem with. It's the way you did it. (laughs) And in that way, it encapsulates everything that Peckinpah was worried about that it's not what you do in life it's what how you do it in a way that differentiates you between other people but like that there is a thing of like codes and stuff but also finding like that every road you take in life is gonna be a gray area like that it doesn't matter if you work for the railroad you're fucking people over as well even if it's indirectly if you're in the revolution, either side of the revolution, you're fucking somebody over. If you're a sheriff or working for the law, you're fucking somebody over. If you're a rebel or a an outlaw, you're fucking somebody over. The, you're always fucking somebody over. Like the In this world, that's it. But the way to differentiate yourself from an animal is to have somewhat of a moral compass. There are lines that you do not cross because otherwise you become an animal. And I completely disagree of that as a thesis, as a human person. <laughs> but I think that it makes into interesting narratives. Uh, and I don't... It's an interesting thing that I think of Peckinpah, that I think that he's very intelligent filmmaker and a very complex filmmaker. And it's not necessary always to agree with what the filmmaker is saying, as long as the filmmaker actually is making a valid and complete point that you can understand and engage with. And I think that this movie is able to do both the the beat by beat fucking relentless fucking chased movie kind of thing. It's two and a half hours and it doesn't stop. It starts 
and it just keeps going and the moments like the, they're like quiet moments are very memorable i think that something that can't be levied against the wall bunch is that their memorable scene against memorable scene like the scene in the, when like they're re they they're in the in the Mexican village and they're talking to the the village elder whenever they're like shooting the barrels of wine and stuff. It's actually a quite funny film as well. I think um, it has like such a waste dark. of what I'm sure is delicious wine. <laughs> yes, it, it is a, a very messed up movie, but I think the it is messed up in like knowledgeably messed up. Peckinpah throughout his career was also very keen on casting. I think that the the two greatest filmmakers on casting faces are Sam Peckinpah and Sergio Leone. Like I, I think that they're like the two guys that would cast a perfect face for a character. That they're like memorable. Like even if it's like a little moment, you remember the face. You know, like. Uh, you put a close-up of somebody like it's an older gentleman or whatever. Even the kids in the shootout uh, in the beginning of the movie, that there's like uh, two kids hugging each other in the middle of the the massacre. That th their faces stay in your. They don't just look like generic kids, you know. They <laughs> look like those two people. The opening scene is a perfect encapsulation of what an opening scene should do. That it sets the world. This movie set sets all the characters perfectly so you know each one what they are who they are what their role in the movie will be etc and then it shows how bad this world can be and the idea also of like the innocent people getting shot like in the crossfire like in 1969 it must have been like so shocking like there's no there's a reason why <laughs> the people temperance people yeah yeah like it's <clears throat> And it, it hits you because of the, the way that he... It's a masterpiece of editing that scene as well. Like the way that it cuts from slow motion to fast motion to regular motion. And you always know where you are in the scene as well. It seems very chaotic. But I think that uh, as well, like as a podcast choice, let's say that whenever you mentioned it'll be like the... the, the 175th episode and the the fifth anniversary of the podcast it's been like you know like peck and pa has been something that has been kind of you know it's like jeff <laughs> he's uh, at the jeff window Go staring in at us <laughs> it's like jeff goblum and the grand budapest hotel when he's talking about like the the will that has been disappeared that it's like i can't see it but there's shadows there's mentions of it there's allusions to something that exists and um like i i think that like wall bunch is probably the best introduction to pack and pie but i don't know if it is his best movie either but i don't know if it's my favorite movie it's one of these complicated things with filmmakers that you see in every movie None of them are perfect, but all of them are worthwhile. So you'd never know which movie to introduce somebody to, you know, like in itself, it stands as a monument to what movies could be in 1969. There's, like, it's one of those movies that are like a bolt from the blue. The, there's been like people like Kurosawa that had in a way, experimented with that form of editing Seven Samurai, the action mm -hmm. scenes and stuff. But it, it feels like completely new, but also like something that always was this movie. And I think that 
you know how they say about like deconstruction of the western and stuff like i don't know how it mm-hmm. got from this to the fucking well, blazing saddles in seven years or something because like it shows how much the western genre has to discuss and i think in particular the the choice of period to set this movie in is genius to set it in like 1916 in the middle of the first world war that you're thinking like you're already like most people when you're thinking of 1916 it's like it's already almost the modern world you know yeah. there's still ho- horses but there's cars Ireland will soon be a state <laughs> but you see this and it's like you know like they're discussing about like seeing the cars for the first time but also that it makes sense that these are the guys that were around in 1860 and 1870 as young guys they were the young guns in the westerns that usually you would watch you know like mm. The actors that Peckinpah always cast as older actors were actors that were big into westerns in their youth, like William Holden and Robert Ryan. So audiences at the time would have carried that idea of seeing them as the young guns mm. in the like in the late forties and fifties, and now seeing them as these like beaten up old, very cynical men that like the world has passed by. That at one point they were. The famous people they were the the rock stars of their generation and now they're pitiful characters they're the the people that time forgot and the the way that they all know that it is like a time that is gone and the that final scene is incredible like the idea that of like all of that just because it's better than to keep going it's like <laughs> in 2021 it feels a lot more uh, poignant than when I watched it in 2008, I think, whenever, like, um, <laughs> when I was starting college and then fucking, like, you know, like Obama president and all that shit that you think that, oh, the, the world is going to change for the better. And then, nope. So, uh, without further ado, what did you think of the World Bunch? Uh, yeah, well, mm, uh, oh no. <laughs> My, me and me and Sam, uh, we did not start off on a good foot with this movie, is what I'll say. Um, I feel like this movie, the opening scene, uh, it seems in a way designed to like kick you out of the screening to a certain extent. It was like, oh, look, kids torturing animals. Oh, look, a big shootout with characters you don't know the names of. He really milks the slow, painful death of those poor fucking scorpions. Jesus. Well, I was just watching it and I was like... Wow, it's uh, such a metaphor. Uh, <laughs> and yet, Peckinpah and his big soft heart won me over. Uh, <laughs> I was watching it and I was like, this, what? <laughs> this is not what I was prepared for. Uh, that, obviously, the, the technical brilliance that uh, we will get to because, yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh this movie is obviously bookended by two big shootouts. Um, and uh, shootouts are kind of boring, uh, even whenever they're done in real technical you know, magnificence in this. And like I read that uh, uh, before in like um, sound design, they would use like the same sounds for guns and Peckinpah wanted to use like to use the proper sound for each gun and stuff so that everything would seem authentic to the point of being uncomfortable, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, shootouts are still 
a, a little bit boring when they go on for a long time, you know? And like, but the thing is that train robberies that happen in broad daylight are fucking awesome. And it reminded me so much of that scene uh, in Breaking Bad, particularly because that whole sequence in Breaking Bad is kind of pointless um, to the whole show really and it's a sort of I think it's at the start of the final season or something and it's like this big sort of like technical set piece and it's really tense and blah 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 it's it's sort of superfluous at that point to the show but it's so fun to watch uh in this movie it's obviously not superfluous but man it's such a fun sequence fucking hell I was like on the edge of my seat watching it I fucking love a heist um all right, let's talk about violence. Um. <laughs> Just uh, can I say something very briefly that it might contextualize? Oh yes, uh, Peckinpah was was in the army hmm. before he was a filmmaker, but he did not really see action. But he did see a person that was sitting in in front of him in a train carriage while he was in China during the Mao Revolution get shot in the head right in front of him. And that was the moment that, like, because of the thing of Fuck. not knowing anything, like the confusion of the the moment mm. and how it played in his head in slow motion, because when you're remembering it, it's not how it happened. And that's what he translated to, like, what violence is in movies. Mm. Because it's like the, the violence that somebody that used to be a soldier, like George Stevens or whatever, that saw war is different to somebody that just witnessed it. Mm. So he just wanted to bear witness to that violence in the movies, let's say. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting, actually, just uh, I was reading yesterday that just for cultural context for this movie, not just that uh, it was obviously made in the middle of the <laughs> when the Vietnam War was going particularly badly but also that uh i think when they went to mexico to go shoot this uh a couple of weeks later martin luther king was shot um and then obviously uh bobby kennedy was shot and then all the other things that were going on at the same time so it's interesting that like making this movie in the middle of all that context is very interesting um uh i'll say that like my my wee modern eyes were not like i wasn't like <gasps> on the violence i was more like whoa you know it was it was more sort of like technically appreciative rather than like truly shocking which obviously is not surprising because even i mean like the last very violent thing i watched was probably the terror and that's very graphically violent and you know and necessary at times sometimes maybe not so but you know like that's a that's quite a graphic show so i'm (laughs) i'm well primed not saying like i don't particularly like violence uh but when used to effect obviously it's very uh interesting but um i will say though like the the one piece of violence that really got me was uh when they're dragging angel around after the mostly just because it it really made me think of um the murder of uh was it james bird i think that guy was called um where a lot of white supremacists uh kidnapped a uh a, a black guy and and killed him by dragging him along uh, behind their truck. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a very 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 warped way to kill somebody. It's that's death by torture essentially, and like also spectacle. Like it's yeah. It, uh, um, yeah. Also, uh, this is sort of interesting as well that um, 
uh, I, I really didn't like the the animals in this because I was like, oh no, obviously like the poor scorpions, but also it, I felt like there was a lot of horses in distress and I don't like that. But interestingly, I did look into this because I don't know a whole lot about your work with horses in movies and stuff and how that would have gone in 1969. But um, apparently this is considered that they had a pretty good high standard for the professionalism of the 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 animal work with animals in this movie uh, even like say whatever they were uh, like the 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 bridge blowing up and stuff like it was all very well rehearsed and stuff and like no no horses were injured or anything uh, but interestingly uh, <laughs> this is a quote from a, a animal safety standards website uh, the film that forced the movie industry to return to animal safety standards was Heaven's Gate a critical and commercial flop about the battles between the Wyoming cattle ranchers and immigrants in the late 19th century the movie resulted in the death of four horses including including one killed in an explosion, according to the American Humane Association. So there we go. Uh, no reason not to like Heaven's Gate. <laughs> we not did that talk, you though. Any. I think we did talk about that episode about how the end scene, how like the actors were really afraid for their safety because it was such a like you know mad thing. But anyways, that's enough about Heaven's Gate. Uh, you sort of mentioned it there um, of of people uh, having certain assumptions or. or feeling that the violence is only there for show or whatever. And I, I find it interesting because I did look a little bit at um, uh, uh, Letterboxd and different reviews of people who really didn't like it. Uh, of, of As like modern audiences take uh, takedowns of the violence and as though it, the movie kind of glorifies it or whatever. And I, I was thinking about this and how uh, I wonder if this film suffers a little bit from being tainted by everything that came after it. Of how because I definitely came into this movie with baggage, not about the violence, but more about Peckinpah himself. A lot of the, the, the bad faith arguments against Peckinpah comes from a movie called Straw Dogs with Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, that's how I was getting to that. <laughs> Mainly because there is a rape scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, there's two intercourse scenes back to back. One is like the ex-boyfriend of Dustin Hoffman's girlfriend. And it's very clear from the movie that she wants to have sex with the guy. It's not like a rape scene. It's just that she's cheating on Dustin Hoffman. And then her friend rapes her. The The guy, her, the guy's friend rapes her and he helps to rape her. And because he enjoy, she enjoys the first intercourse is this like thing that Peck and Pa going like, oh, she enjoys rape. Somehow the fact that she starts fucking acting crazy afterwards is like, oh, women are crazy. It's like, no, it's that she's like severely traumatized by what happened. So she can't just sit there in church with the same people that raped her in church and not have a reaction. You know, Mm. he tried to get like not saying that it is perfectly um, calibrated. like a lot of Peckinpah is well intentioned, but not like he doesn't always have the tools for what he's trying to do necessarily. Exactly, but and like he... it comes from a, the, like the way that he treats Mexicans in this movie is a perfect example. Yeah, the, he casts Mexicans, which is he, good. He has Mexican actors playing the, those characters. He's completely and utterly sympathetic with those characters and treats them as human. 
and complex on both sides that there's like good mexicans bad mexicans there's even he deals with the idea of having like native american mexicans as well yeah that is like very common but also they're not it, it, they're like uh secondary characters to the stories of the white guy but it's you know it comes from a good place he, i i give him uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt but i think the straw dogs is a very very mean spirited movie but it is about liberal guilt and the idea of people saying that they would do something like stopping the vietnam war and stuff like that and just mm-hmm. sitting at home and not doing anything <laughs> is this so because it hits home people the it was kind of like a movie aimed to piss off everybody and it succeeded in doing it i i have not seen it so i can't i can't defend it either way uh well like i don't think that it's like necessarily that it needs to be defended but i think that a lot of the bad like the 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 readings about like how he uses violence has come from that film and then it's like kind of uh, expanding into all his other work. Yeah, I, I find it. I find it interesting. It's because it is very hard to watch this devoid of context, um, or devoid of like baggage, basically. Yeah. So I think it's because like there's so many filmmakers that have taken inspiration from the graphic nature of this film, but they have lost the context. They have removed it, or just not even considered it in the way that he is. So. Like I, I saw that according to Packing by himself, um, this really horrified him. That, like, rather than audiences seeing the world reflected back at them, they just reveled in all the gore and thought it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> like a good modern example is like Fight Club and how people idolize the idea of Tyler Durden and this like hyper masculine while missing every and it's like it's not like the film didn't include all the levels that the book had <laughs> you like know? the movie really codifies what it's meant to do and you're just fucking dumb enough not to, to yeah. see it kind of thing it's like yeah so yeah, it's <laughs> but there are interesting comparisons as directors as well of people that like you know use violence. But I'd probably argue that Beckham definitely likes people more than David Fincher does. Um, yeah, that's the other the <laughs> the other thing is that like. Peckinpah, even to people that like him, they say that he is a nihilist and stuff. And like that was what my basis for my dissertation was that it's mm. like the idea of him being a humanist is like somebody that even in the most, the worst people, there's still good in them if you dig deep enough. Yeah. Like he's the kind of person that you can see from his movies that believe that people are born good and the world makes them evil again not necessarily agree with the with the point of view but it is his point of view and it's an interesting approach that he takes of showing like the scene uh, in the in agua verde the 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 old village elder they're talking about like how everybody wishes to be children again and it's like even the worst of us and then he pauses and goes perhaps the worst most of all (laughs) because it is like this idea of like when you were good it's like life was good because people know that when you're doing something bad 
is bad. And even the wild bunch, you can tell whenever they're doing something good, their whole demeanor changes. Like even giving the guns to like angels, people, whatever. Like the, the like there's a the vibe in that scene versus them giving the the weapons to Mapache, which is the mm. one that they are getting paid for. The vibe is so different that they know that is like what they're supposed to be doing versus to what they're doing. What shocked me the most, more than the violence and everything else, is the bravery of having a movie that the whole thing is a confrontation between two characters and they don't exchange a single word <laughs> during the entire you. movie. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow you feel their connection. Well, they so do in strongly. the past. They do and they have a little flashback. Yeah, they have one flashback, one scene that the guy pretty much goes, oh, stop worrying about it. They don't know we're here. And then... (laughs) (laughs) In a very, very bright whorehouse. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, Speaking of women, uh, (laughs) muchas bonitas. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so we've all... (laughs) We talked about straw dogs and touched on uh, misogyny um yeah interesting uh this is this is not a he's that this is definitely not a misogynistic film um <laughs> i don't think it's a feminist picture uh but i think like what you said about he's sort of no he's he's trying is how i, I would portray it because it's a very difficult thing like have these characters and show them for what they are and what they would have been let's say as their true selves necessarily right so as they are and like how they have their sort of like morals that they bend their guidelines uh etc while also trying to have female characters that are actual people so what i find what's interesting about this film is that there are moments that are i find very well done but because there's a lot of, and it gets to how I feel like this movie is slightly too long, uh, you know, you, you have to wait a long time before you get those moments. So there's a lot of like, you know, running around with fleezies and like, you know, in big vats of wine and like, Teddy's, you know, and you're you're kind of like, you know, and then you get these little sort of like glimmers of, of, of moments. So like, say the scene... Uh, which is very interesting, open to a lot of interpretation. It's also, I think, open to misreading. <laughs> so the scene where uh, uh, Angel shoots his Teresa, it's interesting from her from her like character, but also performance wise, how she goes from like you know, aha, you know, the general uh, to her clocking him. Some very interesting zoom use there. Uh, their interaction to her going back to then her being shot. It's a very short, very interesting uh, scene. So we'll get to the subtitle thing. I don't know if it's intentionally not supposed to have English subtitles for the Spanish, but either way, the version, yeah. Yeah, the version I had didn't. But what I did was I put up the closed captions of the English. So I was able to read the Spanish, which helped so much. But um, her talking about why she left and like how, why he left the little town is... Not fucking different. So <laughs> it's like, you know, she's like, I, I she says something about like starving or something. Yeah. Um, and she kind of looks at him as if like, 
you know, we're not so different, you and I. Uh, and so it's interesting because, like, he doesn't kill her because she's, like, a slut, necessarily. But it's interesting because one of the two, is it one of the, are they brothers? The two of the gang? Yeah. I think, are they the two younger guys? Yeah, Warren um, Oates and the other guy, yeah. Yeah, one of them, I, I can't remember which one, says something like, you know, oh, yeah, you're you're like slutty girl or whatever. Like, oh, you know, are you going to let that stand kind of thing? And then he shoots her very quickly after that. But like, it's interesting that that comment is there so that you can read that as if he's just like, no one can have your, you know, or that like she is also gone off with the guy who killed his father. But also it's like there's... but. It's also that there's like five things there, which is very, very interesting. And she's a very interesting character, even though that like she obviously has a very depressing fucking end. And that's quite shocking when he shoots her, not just the the reaction to it, but it's it's very like sudden. And then obviously you see the women uh, waking her essentially then later on in the middle of this like, you know, wine and uh sex worker fucking bonanza but uh i find that really interesting but you have to suffer through a lot of other stuff to have those little moments (laughs) the other kind of scene that is not a mirror but a companion scene to that when it comes to women and i think again peckinpah the humanist let's say but also peckinpah knowing his characters peckinpah is a person hates that the characters are doing it is that those are the characters and it's the thing when they're gonna do the walk to save angel that they go why not to go what do they do they're gonna die and instead of giving their money to these poor women that they just had sex with these <laughs> prostitutes they rather fucking not pay them and be dicks about it and go yep. and they think that it's like <laughs> Again, it's one of these things that usually fucking they nail fucking Pekipa on a cross for that scene for being like misogynistic. And I'm like, Pekipa is on the side of the women there. Like he's saying that the guys, even when they're doing something good, they're fucking scumbags. That is like the idea, like his, the whole, the whole fucking thesis of the movie is how people can fucking rationalize a way of being the good guy in every situation a American Vietnam that you mm. can do anything with the excuse that you're doing the right thing and that's the movie that at every situation they're doing the wrong thing but they're the good guys at every single fucking turn they're like I'm the good guy even fucking Pike leaving the crazy guy behind so he'll kill the hostages and he does it because he doesn't realize that he's your man's like grandson and then he feels guilty not because he did it it's because it's your man's grandson and it's like oh shit quite funny how your man kind of goes did he do well he's like yeah he did really well okay no more questions (laughs) it's like wait ask him where he is now though uh no because he knows that like uh, no but people didn't come back didn't come back it's one of those things they don't Mm -hmm. speak out the death or whatever but even within the group they keep arguing about what is the right thing to do whenever the right thing is like 20 miles away like 
driving at the speed that of sound person away that from you them. Just didn't bury a man laughed about and then in the next scene you're like yes yes honor yes mm, yeah i wouldn't do that though that's not part of my moral code <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, and it's this thing, like about the like uh even the, the 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 arguments that they have about giving your word that is like he gave his word and the other guy is like it's not his word that matters is who you give oh it to. Yeah, yeah yeah can we can we talk about that line kind of uh for a second um because uh it's kind of a hammy line the way he delivers it but it's great so like they're you're talking about loyalty and he's like he's, he's like loyalty is all that counts and he says that ain't what counts it's who you give it to and i was like ding 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 it's like that's interesting uh a very relevant these days uh particularly giving your loyalty to someone who has no capacity to be loyal back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also um, uh, people who like the idea of not just like who you give your loyalty or you proclaim loyalty to, but also like what you proclaim your loyalty to, like, you know, freedom at all costs kind of thing. Um, which... <laughs> I love it. This is like 1969, and there's just so much. It's like never, never change, America. <laughs> Stay the same. Uh, but I actually, I see it there though that it's interesting uh, from an American, particularly context of of Peckingpah himself, that so he makes this movie uh, very much looking at the idea of like you know the western man the outlaw the idea of like the people who founded america what america is really about like second amendment all that bullshit like that idea but then also making straw dogs like so, like of two reactions of like the two sides of america let's say of like how republicans deal with an incredibly violent past is to just ignore it uh <laughs> or mythologized to the point of that like it was a good thing because it was necessary and it made this country so it's fine but then you have like the liberal side of things which is that you feel guilty about it but you don't do anything yeah so <laughs> it's like <laughs> i like the fucking both, both just are. wanted to skewer everybody like that's the thing is that like he felt uh like for good or for bad he just you know he he sh shot from the hip, you know, like, yeah, uh, like 100%. He, he told it as it is. I do. Okay. So I just, I want to have a few little notes before we get to favorite things. Cause we're, uh, this is probably going to be quite a long episode on the, the swag life for sure. Who cares? One, seven, five, baby. Uh, yeah, just uh, we, cause we talked about subtitles a bit before as well. Um, I, I, I ended up renting this on Amazon prime cause it was the only place I could get a good version of it. Um, and yeah, whenever they're giving the guns to uh, like the group of like indigenous in Mexico, uh, the uh, <laughs> the subtitles that came up on the closed captions was uh, speaking Indian. Well, like they're as, they're not speaking Spanish. No, I know, but as in like Indian, I was like, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, it's yeah. the fact that like it, you know you know it's the fact that that's still in the subtitles now. I was kind of like, uh, but you know. That's not not great, Amazon Prime. But uh, also, uh, I googled this yesterday. Uh, <laughs> so I just googled the Wild Bunch. I didn't uh, Google the Wild Bunch, nineteen sixty nine. And if you Google the Wild Bunch, I have it here on uh, <laughs> on Canadian Google. The first one that comes up is the Wikipedia entry. The second one that comes up is 
<laughs> the Wild Bunch Flower Shop, which is a Vancouver-based florist, which I think might be the best use of SEO ever. So, <laughs> so if you the check second result is this very lovely looking uh, florist in Vancouver. So there you go. I thought that was very charming. It's very uh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah that, that that was i think that was all my little points um oh right. also i did i did want to say that uh i you kind of touched on it as well on like the use of like casting and stuff but i very much appreciated the main characters in this look old and they look decrepit they look the age they're supposed to be so that like whenever he's trying to get on the horse it's like you know he's he's <laughs> he's really looks like he's struggling to get on the horse and i i find that uh Although in saying that, there's one part whenever like Pike falls over and he like tries to get onto the horse and the soundtrack like swells and it's the most movie moment of the entire movie, I think. But uh, I appreciated that, that they look as like, you know, well, they're probably supposed to be like 40 or whatever old would have been in 19, <laughs> 1916. I think that the, the most uh, like when we were talking about like time and all those things, I think that the most fucked up thing is that Ernest Borgine, who is like the like second like uh second in command of this movie yeah with the great he smile. died in 2012 it's like he looks like fucking in his 60s in this movie already like it, this it, they don't make an effort of hiding their ages but again like I, I i like i'm glad that you brought it up that is like my final point is like it has to be mentioned how not only like casting wise that like every performance is pitch perfect that even like the I can't even remember what's the name of the the brothers, like uh, the characters, like Warren Oates yeah. and the other guy. But every performance is pitch perfect. Even my patching, so that you, yeah, yeah, it's almost like it's close enough to being like mustache twirling evil. <laughs> but you get the fact that he, like, you see in a way how uh, pathetic he is whenever mm. you realize that he's not really the guy in charge. He's just the front for the bi- like the his big account fish and everybody else. <laughs> exactly. And the, the way that he realizes it whenever like there's a scene that he's drunk and he's like, oh, yeah, just do whatever. You know, you're going to come up with the decisions anyways and I'm going to follow. And the way how like people always convince him to do something because mm-hmm. he's not really the boss there. And he knows it as well. And I think that everything in this movie has that level of an underlayer over the what is just on the surface. There's a, a varnish. There's the dirt on top of the varnish that must be removed. And then there is the varnish that must be removed. And then there is the painting underneath. I've been watching a lot of uh, uh, paint, painting restoring YouTube videos, which is... I don't know, man, if you ever feel a little bit stressed, uh, but uh, <laughs> I would recommend you look up some painting restoring because it is bananas. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say there about that. There is, I do love the scenes whenever uh, uh, he's drunk because he looks very disheveled as well. He's sort of like ill-fitting in his uniform a little bit. The hat is slipping. He's very sweaty. It's a very sweaty movie. I love a sweaty movie. Um, what was your favorite thing? Well, like usually, like we, um, when I present uh, um, when I present films like this that are 
from directors that I truly appreciate. Uh, you hadn't seen any work from, let's say, like Kurosawa, etc., or David Lean. Whenever we did a brief encounter, that I go, oh, it's the director, you know, because he's great or whatever. But in this case, I think that is the editing. Both for for the entire movie, it feels like a locomotive. And whenever you mention the, like it's both the the editing all together, together like both visually and sound working together. Mm. Like the reason the the heist works is because the soundtrack is just the fucking steam engine going. With the so whole thing, good. And it's, it's so tense. <laughs> and even the the idea looks and so. And I know that you don't like shootouts the, uh, that much, but I like that even within the editing that there's always consequences for the shootouts. And yeah. this movie, like, there's a big shootout, and then there's like the movie doesn't cut to the next scene and forgets about the people that got killed. Like, there's always a scene that then there's people either like treating the wounded or going to like bury the wounded and stuff even in the last there's like scenes within the scenes within the shootout if you know what i mean like there's little moments within it that feels very spatially intentional (laughs) yeah and it's surprising as well considering that movies at that time you wouldn't be able to like reshoot or whatever there wasn't like now that you go okay now we're gonna go into our like six month fucking reshoots or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but also a lot of it was shot on the fly which is really amazing for something that is as complex as this is that he'd walk the set and then start with the DOP going oh we put the camera here here there 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 and there wouldn't be that many but it'd be like you know, maybe three cameras on set at the time. It's not like nowadays that you're like, oh yeah, I'm shooting an explosion. Let's put 22 cameras, <laughs> 42 GoPros. Let's put a GoPro in the leg of the horse that is running 200 meters away from the explosion. You know, like anything will do it. Fucking just throw money at it. It will look good. We'll, we'll get the material. But like with this, there was like a certain level of craftsmanship behind it. But I think a lot of it only works because of the editing yes that you can have all the squids that you squibs that you want squids <laughs> just throwing squids at the same you can have all the squibs that you want for a violent scene but it doesn't hit as much if the editing is not there that you feel every shot in this movie but also is that the even the quiet scenes have room to breathe and have really sweet pacing as well like i think that it's like i said it's a very well paced movie but and the editing i don't mean like just moment to moment i mean like um well the pacing is great as well like it's and then the the second part to be the acting i think that there's no Mm -hmm. not a false note struck uh, by the actors with a lot of like tough dialogue see especially considering that it's like from 1969 it's a movie that is strangely modern if you told me it was shot like late 70s early like early 80s even early 90s you go like all right like uh, i believe that kind of thing if you see what else was coming out like 
shit like john wayne's the red beret the green berets was two years after that and you see the action scenes of the green berets versus this you're like what <laughs> what was your favorite thing uh i think yeah it's definitely the technical the editing and also just uh the uh technically how well this is like both blocked and shot and everything like this film uses slow motion in a really interesting way this film has better slow motion than the guardian does like <laughs> you know what I mean? like there are modern films that, are, don't, that either have not shot for slow mo or else are just like putting it in in really stupid well, places let me put it and this way there there most films do things better <laughs> than the guard anything that the guardian does but that's why we love it I knew nothing about this film before I started to watch it. And it is like very, very enjoyable to watch the craft involved. Um, But craft that doesn't feel like wasteful, if you know what I mean? Like sometimes whenever you watch like scenes, you know, that you know how much money and time and people and craft and extras went into it. And you're like... It just feels kind of superfluous, you know, where it's like, look at all the things we did, you know, and you're like, oh, cool. You did that in camera. Fun, you know, Christopher Nolan. Uh, but <laughs> in this film, it all feels very necessary. Like everything that's going on in the background, like all the like um, the the deep focus as well is really interesting. Is that like so much of this is it really, really looks wonderful. Like I don't know which version I watched if it was it looks like it's had some sort of restoration job done in it because it really does look quite astonishing this movie is cynical but like not <laughs> is it even cynical i don't know it's like it feels like the wrong word for what this film is i don't, I don't know I, I found it very interesting because i had such an idea in my head of what he was as a filmmaker that like wasn't really based on any research or anything it was just like stuff that i had absorbed throughout the my life you know of like and then i find it very interesting to find that like there was a lot of like not sentimentality in this film like i find the ending is a very good example of this that it's like it's both very very like dark and that you know he's sitting there at what has essentially been like the massacre of his friends of people that he you know like had a whole life with and he's lying there and then like this guy these you know dudes come up on the horse and they're like sure what else would you be doing and he's like yeah yeah jumps on his horse and he goes off with them and like to what will be probably the same fate you know it's it's a very dark ending really but it's also like oddly sentimental because it's like he's choosing rather than like joining the new world he's he's choosing to like go the old traditional ways you know and it's it's like kind of both at the same time it's sort of weird that like yeah, it's, it's interesting. A, it's sentimental, but also like cynical in the way that like the idea of like you cannot change your own nature, like this argument. Yeah. Uh, um, what's the point? Because look at what did it do to him? The Deke Thornton, which is a great name, Deke Thornton. <laughs> like the names are great, and there's like Thornton. fucking Pike Thornton, Dutch, <laughs> Dutch, <Yeah>. Sykes. <laughs> uh, what was your uh, least favorite thing? It's one of the things like Back and Pat that like they always have the same flaw. His movies that they're made by a deeply flawed man. (laughs) So and they're very personal. There is like 
story after story that like the reason that he was a good director when it came to actors is that he never really gave direction is that when he was looking for a mood he just sit with the actors and tell them a story or something that happened in his life that evoked the same mood as the scene and then he just walked away and get them to act so they know what he was going for there's always been this idea that like peckinpah was like an angry director or whatever but he used to just fucking everybody that he worked with tended to want to work with him again he had like a troop of actors that would work in all his movies yeah. and like crew members and stuff like that director of photography special effects people editors so it's not like he was an impossible person but he was a difficult man and i think that his, his movies are as muddy as he was as a person but that's why they're interesting in a way and worthwhile watching because they were so personable personal and so deeply linked to him we talk a lot about like the meaning of directors and agreeing with them because they make interesting points or whatever but i don't always think that it's necessary to agree with the director as long as they're making a complex enough point that there's like more than a point of view you know like mm. you know like if you make a movie that says fascism is good that'd be like eh, maybe not for me like peckinpah would a hundred percent have been cancelled <laughs> if he lived <laughs> nowadays maybe like he'd be uh, in the the realm of Lars von Trier's that somehow you get away with shit for some reason like you can yeah. say that you understand well Lars von Trier is like foreign so <laughs> yeah like foreign, I don't think that like... Peckinpah be an American they'd be like oh yeah. you know maybe he doesn't speak English or whatever like English <laughs> is not his first language but what was your least favorite thing I think it's slightly too long. I say that not knowing where the where exactly I would chop out, but I feel like there are some scenes that sort of stay a little bit too long. Um, like possibly whenever they're in the whorehouse with, and like they're in the, but yeah, I can't I can't really pinpoint exactly. I feel like it just could have been like a little tighter. It's just a little bit too long. Um, but at the same time, like I wasn't sort of. I watched it and I was like a little bit tired as well, but it kind of kept my attention until the very, very end. Like there wasn't really any moment where I was like, God, like, come on now, lads. Like once I got into it, I was, I was very into it. And also it contains a really fucking great heist scene, which is perfectly pitched. Uh, uh, yeah, that was the wild bunch. Uh, I, I recommend it. Wasn't expecting that, but there we are. <laughs> uh, thank you for your choice, Ricardo. Um, so if they want to go back and listen to the previous 174 episodes, uh, where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, at The Rec Game, on Twitter, uh, The Recommendation Game, at gmail.com is our email. We're on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday, 11 to 12. You can also see us on your podcaster of choice, Spotify, blah, 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 and the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud. I will be sharing, or uh, next week, whenever this comes out, I'll be sharing or uh, the, the playlist that I made, which is fucking class. So uh, I would highly recommend people listen to it because it is actually, it's full of bangers. Like some of the, the best thing is to listen to it and try and work out what movie it's from because some of them are also obviously very obvious and some of them are not, which I find very fun. So uh, yeah, uh, next week's film. It's chosen by Orla. Yay! Uh, I'm picking uh, Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, we're doing it's another um, 
Kirsten Johnson, is that her name? Uh, after camera person. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to discuss the two movies. And uh, yeah, uh, until then, uh, I was a Horde McNeenus. And I was a very tired Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.